Welcome back to another edition of the Around the Block podcast from Coinbase. I'm your host, Justin Mart. This week, we have both an exciting and frankly complicated topic. We're going to be dissecting staking, particularly this concept of liquid staking. I think staking is one of the more misunderstood aspects of the space. I think a lot of people view staking as this magic black box. You put your money into it and you get rewards back. But in reality, there's a lot of machinery behind the scenes, a lot of complexity and yeah, some risk as well. And we're particularly going to be honing in on, again, the idea of liquid staking, what that is, and helping institutions become liquid stakers. And the watershed moment that will be for the industry. So to break it all down, I have Matt, who is the head of liquid staking products at Figment. Figment is an infrastructure company focused on building Web3 products. So let's dive in. This is the first time the host and the guest are live in a booth. That's great. No, yeah. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks you're, for having me. You're our little guinea pig, so <laughs> love it. Um, we've got people walking by in front of us too, which is going to be a sight to see and, and all, the, all the people here at uh, Permissionless. But we've got an announcement to make. Uh, we also have a topic of conversation today around staking, which I think is definitely one of the most misunderstood aspects of crypto. So really excited to talk about this with you. But um, why don't we just cut to the chase? Um, what do you got for us? So today we're announcing the formation of Alluvial to build an institutional liquid staking standard. Liquid staking. And this is kind of a bit of a buzzword. Um, and institutional is an important aspect here as well. So I think, again, you know, staking being one of the most misunderstood aspects of crypto. Let's start with just the basics. Let's start with what is staking and maybe cut through some of the misconceptions around staking. But uh, help us understand. So what exactly is staking? Yeah, so you're right. There are a lot of misconceptions. Uh, staking is where you lock your tokens in the network to provide security. And you're rewarded with tokens as well for producing blocks. And so you can think of it as, as blocks are produced, there's transaction fees that are realized. And so stakers are rewarded with those transaction fees. Yeah. So I guess uh, one of my sort of conceptions around staking, one of my mental frameworks here is, you got a blockchain. Its whole purpose is, hey, let's create this decentralized architecture that no single person controls. But we can all collectively come to consensus, come to agreement over the state of this network. These are some you know, technical buzzwords here, but you want to run a, a, you know, money on top of a blockchain? Well, that's basically a ledger. It's basically a checkbook, right? And so each individual person on this ledger has to come to agreement on who owns what, right? And usually you have Visa, some central party that maintains the ledger, maintains a checkbook. The innovation of blockchains is, hey, what if there is no Visa? What if we all individually come to agreement around this? The challenge is, if we all individually come to agreement on it, and everybody is really incentivized to lie, in other words, I'm going to you know, fudge the numbers, put myself having a thousand Bitcoin, so to speak, right? Then how can you trust anybody? How can, how can a group of people that doesn't trust anybody else ever come to agreement on anything? So this is my like mental framework for like, okay, like what is the magic behind a blockchain? Why is it special? Why is it important? And it's that they solve that problem. They figured out how to create trust in a decentralized manner. This cuts to staking because Bitcoin was the first, it created proof of work. And that was basically a way of coming to consensus by running a computer program, so to speak, burning energy, producing work that, that helps the network come to consensus. We're gonna talk about the details there, right? But staking is a little bit of a different sort of lens on this and it says, hey, what if instead of running your computers, you know, using this computer algorithm to come to consensus, what if we instead had the users of the blockchain basically lend their tokens to the network and say, look, I agree to become a validator on this network. 
And if I misbehave or if I lie, I'm posting collateral, I'm posting my assets. And if you see that I'm lying, my assets get slashed, they get taken away. So this is why I think that staking is misunderstood because people view it as like, oh, free, easy, you know, returns. Like I get, you know, 5%, whatever, you know, right? Yada, yada. It's actually not that at all. What you're really doing is you're lending your assets to validators who are basically uh, validating the network, right? They're, produce, they're, they're basically uh, coming to consensus and doing the picks and shovels of the blockchain and making sure that, you know, transactions are validated. So there's a lot to unpack there, right? Yeah, definitely. And so you're right. It's it's there's no free lunch here, right? Um, you're providing, you're actually staking your tokens in the network to provide this security. So there is yeah. a, a risk there, and, and there could be penalties. Um, and so if you do get slashed, your tokens are taken away. Yeah. And so it's really important to have trusted validators running uh, infrastructure for you to earn your rewards. Yeah. Let's talk real quick. When we say validators, what is the work of validators actually doing? What does that look like? Right. So validators are actually uh, doing just that. They're validating transactions on the blockchain and producing blocks. Yeah. And for that, they're rewarded um, with, a, with a transaction fee. And so they're running some version of software, right? They're basically running a, a node on the network. They're watching for incoming transactions. They're communicating with other validators. There's some real like technical work happening behind the scenes here, right? That's right. Yeah, they have to they have to run nodes. They have to ensure that their uh, the, the, their uptime is sound. Um, there's uh, things called attestations uh, that they have to do periodically. So uptime is extremely important. Um, as well as when they're chosen to produce a block, they do that um, in 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 a way that um, you know provides security to the network. So yeah, super important uh, role that validators play. And this is how stakers can earn the rewards. Yeah. Let's talk really briefly about some misconceptions around staking. I mean, we kind of started this off by saying, look, it's not like you just put your money in this thing and you get some magic money back. There's actually work being done. There's also risk being taken on. So let's talk real quickly about some of the misconceptions. We've talked about it a little bit, slashing, right? And kind of the, the framework here was if you misbehave as a validator, your money is lost. It's, it's slashed. It's taken from you. And so there is some importance on choosing validators staking staking your assets with validators that are going to do this correctly, right? So I guess that's one of the big misconceptions. Yeah, I think, um, you know, you have to, uh, I would say that validators kind of fall into a few different categories. You and I can go run validators in, in our houses, right? We can, we can do this, um, but can we take on someone else's funds and run uh, that at scale? That's a really hard problem to solve. And so that's where you need someone with, uh, you know, Web3 infrastructure experience experience to go run this enterprise-grade infrastructure for you. Yeah. Um, it's really important. Another thing that's, you know, staking is not, um, is I, I like to refer to what we're talking about as protocol staking, whereas there are other things that are called staking um, that really is just a lending pool or a liquidity pool that you put, you, you stake your tokens into <laughs> and, and get rewarded uh, from trading fees or basically it's driven by external trading activities. Yeah, this is a really good point, right? The crypto community has sort of co-opted the word staking. There's actually different flavors of staking. What we've been talking about this whole time is protocol staking. It's the idea of actually being a validator on a blockchain itself, on a network itself. We confusingly have the idea of staking your crypto tokens, your DeFi tokens or what have you in that protocol Basically, you just give them your tokens, they sit on it and do nothing and give you a yield back. That's a completely different thing, right? 
So yeah. a, lot of, a lot of misconceptions here around the word staking. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I want to be clear, like, um, that, you know, those, those sources of rewards are quite different. Yeah. Um, on the lending side, they're driven by whatever you can execute the basis trade for. Um, you know, on the market banking side, there are liquidity concerns there that you may uh, run into. Um, so that's that's different. That's that's maybe driven by more external factors. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you're comfortable with the chain and your validator, um, staking rewards yeah. you can view as a, a bit more durable. Uh, rewards rate when compared to yeah. some of maybe other other staking yields in the system. And so maybe to double down on this, uh, where does the money come from on protocol staking? If I act as a validator, stake my assets, doing the work, I get money back, what, your tokens back, where do those tokens come from? Right, that's a great question. So it breaks down into uh, generally in, in two sources. Um, there's a scheduled inflation of uh, the, the actual chain to incentivize uh, folks to stake. Um, which decreases over time as more people stake. So this is basically Ethereum saying, hey, we're going to issue X number of coins per block. Exactly. And over a year time frame, there's, you know, a bunch of blocks produced and you add up all the coins that are issued newly minted in those blocks. That's the inflation rate of Ethereum. But the inflation essentially is distributed to the validators, to nobody else. That's right. Yeah, correct. And and, and so the, uh, where we're at now with Ethereum pre-merge, um, it's now just the inflationary component. Yep. After the merge, we'll see that transaction fees will also be another component yeah. of this. And that's where you, you mentioned Visa, uh, which I think is a great analogy. If you, if you kind of like take that a bit further, imagine Visa, if instead of having, um, you know, shareholders, the, the actual pro rata share of what your account held at Visa granted you rewards. That essentially is a similar analogy yeah. to what staking yeah. is on Ethereum, right? Staking is becoming an owner of the network, right? It's exactly. it, quite quite literally, to be honest, because then you are actually performing the work of the network. So, yeah. And the, the interesting point here, right, is like, again, staking is not a free lunch. It's not free yield. What it really is, it's a cost the network as a whole bears. The network is paying for its security through inflation, giving inflation to the validators. So if you have Ether and you're not staking it, you're actually bearing some inflation every year. You're suffering the cost of inflation. If you are validating, you're insulated from that inflationary burden because you are producing the work, you're getting rewarded for the risk you're taking on by making sure you are a good validator and not misbehaving. <laughs> and so the dynamic here is, you know, if everybody's staked, well, nobody would be suffering inflation, but not everybody's staking. And so if, you're, if you are staking, you're getting commensurately more return back. You're benefiting from it. Yeah. Interesting math here. Yeah, that's right. And I think there, you know, there's a reason for that is I think, um, you know, as we see, we have, you know, crypto native folks that are very comfortable staking. Um, they'll they'll enter into a staking transaction. It's 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 become just second nature. Yeah. Whereas institutions have to understand it, and they they're just starting to understand what staking is. Yeah. And so um, there's a lot of education that has to happen there. We're going to get into this because this is part of the new protocol, the new project that we're going to talk about here. Perfect. So that's maybe some great background on what staking is. To be honest, you know, this is one of the most complex topics in all of crypto. So it took me like a long time to figure out exactly how it worked. There's so much complexity under the hood, to be honest, right? To really understand the nuts and bolts, you kind of have to have, be a computer, you know, a, a programmer of some sort and really dig your, <laughs> dig your sleeves up, so to speak. Um, so don't feel bad if you don't quite understand it. Well, I think what we want to highlight though is look, staking is a fundamentally different operation than just general passive yield production, not even yield at all. These are rewards from a protocol. You're taking risk by doing it. And in reality, most people are going to need some trusted person to stake for them. And today, you know, you have many options as a consumer. You could run your own hardware and stake yourself, but that's very complicated and challenging. And you're bearing the risk entirely by yourself. Or 
You can use exchanges like Coinbase, which let you stake on certain assets, as well as protocols uh, that, that make it easier for consortiums to form and be validators for everybody else. It's a little bit about what we're announcing today, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And so um, also just want to hit on uh, another aspect really quick before we jump to that is um, <laughs> the unbonding time, right? Mm -hmm. we, we haven't covered yet where um, when you want to withdraw your tokens, you're subject to an unbonding time, which can be between two and 28 days. So this kind of represents a, yeah. a hurdle uh, for those looking for liquidity. Um, so that combined with the fact that uh, we want to have institutional or sorry, enterprise grade validators um, to, to ensure that we're earning those rewards that you mentioned. It's not it's yeah. not it's not risk free. So we need to we need to think about those two in concert. So what liquid staking does. It's a great segue. What yeah. is liquid staking? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. Liquid's a key word here. Yeah, <laughs> right, right, right. So um, to, to essentially layer on to this durable rewards rate, um, we want to layer on capital efficiency. We feel that this is kind of the, the, the last problem to solve or kind of levels up staking for, for institutions to be able to access it um, in a dependable way. And so in order to do that, we're building a liquid staking protocol first on Ethereum to model the standard that I mentioned earlier. And I think some of the key tenets there are compliance and security. Mm -hmm. That gives our stakers or... Uh, yeah, compliance security is going to be a big part of it, but I don't want to gloss over this. What exactly is liquid staking? Right. So liquid staking is where you deposit your token into a uh, into the protocol and you're you're given a receipt token. The receipt token evidences your claim on the assets. And so what this does is it unlocks the liquidity. You can take the receipt token and you know use it as you wish and you you, you always have that claim. Um you know I, there's there's this explain like I'm 5 uh, way of talking about it. And it's kind of like a coat check where, you know, you take your coat to the coat check and they give you a tag and you have that tag. You can walk around. You're kind of like free of your coat. Yeah. Uh, and then when you want to redeem and get your coat back, you give the, the tag back and you get your coat. I think it's a great analogy. The other way to think about this too is, okay, so if you want to stake by yourself, again, you're doing all this work, you know, you're bare metal on the actual protocol here. You basically put your ether up into a smart contract on Ethereum. Ethereum says, yes, you're a validator now. You are responsible for producing blocks, validating transactions, et cetera. You better be running the software that does that or else guess what? Your stake teeth get slashed, right? Well, for a variety of security reasons, there's a delay. When you give them the assets, a bit of a delay until you become a validator. And then if you want to withdraw your assets, there's a much longer delay. This is again, a bunch of complicated security reasoning behind it. We don't need to get into that. But this means that when your assets are stuck in that smart contract, you're a validator on Ethereum, you're staking, you can do nothing with those assets. They are locked, right? They're illiquid. And so liquid staking, what you're saying is it's the idea of a code check, right? And the magic here is that code check ticket is liquid. You can trade that with other people. It represents your claim on those staked assets. So we're basically manufacturing liquidity out of staking here by saying, look, you own staked assets. Here's your receipt on those staked assets. Now those receipts can be traded, exchanged, et cetera. And in that way, you still have a version of liquidity, even though the underlying asset will kind of always be locked until you want to withdraw the underlying. Yeah, exactly. And so we, we very, very confusing, by the way, <laughs> this is challenging stuff. So if you're confused, don't worry, you're not alone. <laughs> Absolutely. That's right. Yeah, I, I tend to stay at the, the, the higher level when explaining it for the first time. But yeah. I think one of the key takeaways you just mentioned is, you know, this this receipt token becomes almost a base layer or, um, you know, primitive uh, to build on top of. 
Yeah. And that's where it gets very exciting is once you've unlocked this liquidity piece for st staked assets, plus, a, you know, you add to that a very durable, stable rewards rate, you can start to build all sorts of different, um, you know, yeah. financial products on top of that. I guess the question is, you know, if you are able to stake assets and earn those block rewards by doing so, why would you not? Why would you not stake your assets and get that reward? Now, the, the trade-off obviously is, well, if you're doing it yourself, again, they're locked. You don't have fungibility, you don't have liquidity, right? But through liquid staking, you do get liquidity, you do get fungibility. And there's a lot of incentive to build on top of those get code check receipt tokens because the underlying assets are actually earning rewards, block rewards. So a lot of momentum here. Now let's talk a little bit. This is, liquid staking is not a new thing. It's been around for a while. We've got Lido and a few others in the ecosystem that are pioneering and developing liquid staking options. But what's missing from those products today? What is the gap in the market that you want to build towards? Yeah, definitely. And, and the, I want to just pay tribute to the innovative solutions that came before. I mean, we've seen a ton of growth, 35X over the last year uh, in growth in, in, in these protocols. Um, I think the key thing that's missing there is, is something I mentioned earlier, which is the compliance and security standards that institutions need in place before they can access it. And yeah. so uh, at Figment, I've seen this firsthand in, in chats with customers and Coinbase Cloud. Um, I know they've seen a similar, uh, you know, need that hasn't been met um, because currently we see that, you know, they can't access yeah. uh, Lido or some of these other staking protocols because of these shortcomings. And so we want to fit, we want to meet this need. And we think that there's an opportunity to do so by running enterprise grade validators yeah. um, and, and, and kind of, uh, imbuing the the uh vision of some of the blockchains um and we do that by having operational standards yeah let's get into all this in a bit here okay. i want to take a step back though yeah this is going to sound like a silly question maybe but do we want the institution staking doesn't that increase centralization like do we care about institutions like what's the deal here <laughs> right right yeah no it's a great question i think that um we we absolutely do want new capital to come and flow into the system. Um, we're building probably one of the first Web3 uh, enterprise um, service protocols. And so in doing this, we wanna bridge this gap between crypto native and, and institutional. I think it's important that we have a, um, a place for those token holders to come and stake yeah. their assets. I think that's very important. Um, and we're also gonna be doing this in a, in a crypto native way in that we're gonna be building with the community. So yeah. we kind of want to bring these two ideas together. Yeah. Um, the, the build with the crypto community in mind is important because there's an element of this that increases the trust and security of the whole network. If I could talk for a moment about, you know, why it's important that we do allow institutions to stake. Um, one of them is that, you know, while the average Joe Schmo might not care if some rich dude is staking, the reality is these institutions are often uh, basically aggregating capital from a bunch of retail players. And so it's actually more access for the individual person. And the way this works is, you know, individual people kind of need a trusted solution. But what is a trusted solution? A trusted solution is an institution. It is somebody that gives you some measure of trust and security for what's happening. And so we want the institutions to feel comfortable actually playing with staking because not only do the, do, do the end retail, you know, users end up gaining from those block rewards and, you know, basically not suffering the inflation of these networks, but if institutional capital is allowed to stake in a, fa in a way that is secure and robust and reliable, it increases the security of the network itself. 
So it's two-pronged. We are actually, at the end of the day, helping retail users you know, gain access to these rewards, but also the networks themselves get stronger as a result. So it's critically important that we play to the strengths of these institutions. Um, what are they missing? Why, why can institutions not necessarily participate in existing liquid staking solutions today? So I think it's, uh, you know, we mentioned um, security and compliance a few times. Um, so things like KYC AML checks, not only for participants, but also validators. We want to ensure that validators meet a certain standard. Um, we also want to have robust monitoring and reporting. I think it's really important to have uh, reporting that meets the needs of institutions, which is a quite different bill than retail. This is actually another another misconception that I often hit at. And <laughs> there's a lot of misconceptions in crypto, I suppose. But um, one of them is this idea that like institutions are just slow. They don't need to be slow. You can be, you can go much faster by like going to these random DeFi protocols or whatever. The reality is institutions are slow because they're checking the boxes. They're making sure that assets are safe. They're making sure that the counterparties are legitimate. They're making sure that things aren't going to go wrong, right? And they're also regulated. We have legal frameworks that govern the activity of these fiduciaries, so to speak, right? Um, I actually don't know if they're fiduciaries, so to speak, but institutions nevertheless, right? They, they operate under legal frameworks. And one of the biggest of them is, hey, if you're operating in any financial market, any money services business, you cannot run afoul of uh, anti-money laundering, um, terrorist financing. We want to make sure that the capital you're interacting with isn't tainted by bad players. And we're not helping facilitate terrorist financing or money laundering or other nefarious things. And so we do have to know who your counterparties are. My picture on this, and tell me if I'm wrong here, but you know, if you are acting as a staker on, on say the Ethereum network, you're validating transactions, you're producing blocks, your money is staked in the protocol, it's in a giant kind of staking pool, and it could get commingled with other people who are staking in some fashion, some way. And that means that you might be you know, kind of commingled with other bad actors if they wanted to be stakers as well. And that runs the risk of some of these anti-money laundering, terrorist financing concerns. So institutions probably have some measure of consternation around that, and that's probably keeping them today from playing on the bare metal, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah, so that's one of the reasons for um, implementing KYC AML yes. checks, right, is to ensure that we meet this, meet this standard um, and meet some of these requirements. Um, I think, you know, that's if setting that aside for a moment, I think there's another consideration, which is security. Um, as you said, they have to check the boxes. They have different uh, levels of compliance and, and security standards that they have to meet. So um, in doing so, we want to make sure that we bring forward the vision of the blockchains that we're building on and make sure that we're incentivizing the correct uh, behaviors, right? So we yeah. want to incentivize client diversity. We want to incentivize multi-cloud, multi-region deployments. Um, and then we want to, as a community from top-notch validators, source security best practices. How are you incentivizing that? That's a great question. So we want to have this uh, be governed by um, a DAO eventually. Um, and so we're going to be working together to, to do that. Um, as far as the incentives to do that, I think that, um, you know, not ready to speak at this time <laughs> about uh, how the incentive structure looks. Um, but we do want to make it open and transparent. Yeah. So I think that it's going to be important to have metrics that show, um, you know, based on the values that we're, we're, we're touting, that we're actually meeting those with metrics. And we want to be open and transparent about that. You mentioned standards as well. Does that play a role here somewhere? It does. Absolutely. And so, you know, working with uh, top-notch validators like Coinbase Cloud and Figment, we want to uh, bring together, like I said, so source our uh, best practices from uh, 
these these top validators to make sure that we have the correct security standards in place uh, such that we can you know meet the needs of institutions yep. so it's kind of uh, matching or mashing up the um, the community uh, needs and, and and wants for security or safety of the the blockchain with uh, needs that institutions have let's take a step back so yeah. talked a lot about staking talked a lot about challenges of staking, what it really is, what it isn't, talked about liquid staking. This protocol is essentially a version of liquid staking that is playing to the things that institutions need, right? And the two key differentiators that I'm hearing so far is, hey, we're building in KYC AML checks. We're making sure that institutions can check those boxes. We're building with security in mind. We're making sure institutions can check those boxes as well. And we're building in the open, right? That's generally the idea that I have in my head. How can somebody, uh, I guess, what, what validators are you working with? How do people get involved in this? If they wanted to be a validator in the project, who's, who's involved to begin with? Give me a color of, of the initial composition. Yeah, so uh, Coinbase Cloud and Figment are gonna join the initial validator set. So we're really excited to, to, to start with that foundational piece, um, which is uh, top-notch enterprise-grade validators plus solid security standards. The next area, we need to, Currently, we're building on Ethereum. We want to scale this across chains, though. And so to do that, we're going to be looking to Web3 builders to help us scale this same model and standard across other chains so yeah. that we can deliver a multi-chain liquid staking solution. And then we're going to be looking for uh, integrators to be able to do the KYC checks, provide seamless on-ramps to the institutions so that they can liquid stake from where they're currently um, custodying their assets. By the way, I just got to say, like, I've been following staking for a long time, back when it was basically initially proposed in the Ethereum white paper. And, oh my gosh, the journey of staking has been long and arduous. <laughs> but I'm so excited that we're basically at the point now where we, we can bring institutions on board. I mean, it might not sound like it, but this is actually a pretty seminal moment. No, I, I agree. And, and, and kudos to you for being in from the start. That's, that's pretty amazing. Um, yeah, I, you know, over the last year, um, going and trying to solve this problem has been um, pretty, pretty um, daunting because, I, you know, I went through why, why would they, you know, stake first and then yeah. offering capital efficiency later. So, um, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's great to see. You know, we, we talked a little bit earlier, too, about the, you know, challenge, like, you know, we, we brushed it off a little bit when we talked about, do we want institutions at all? Because one of the risk factors there is like, hey, they bring in a lot of money. It might bring centralization to the protocol. So there's always a little bit of like a push and a pull where you want great validators to incentivize a ton of capital and you want this thing to grow because it increases security. You don't want it to grow too big, but they become such an important cog in the system that if they go down or fail, the entire system is at risk. So how do we think about this trade-off between we want, you know, the Ethereum network and other networks to remain decentralized, so we don't want to grow too big, but we do want to provide avenues for large, you know, people to get involved, large institutions to get involved. How do you think about this? What's the trade-off here, and how, how do we want to protect against that? Yeah, it's, I, I think it's a, um, a, a tough balance, right? Because, uh, as you mentioned, we're kind of gating liquid staking from institutions right now by not providing a solution. And so I think there's an opportunity to provide that solution. As you said, um, it could grow very rapidly. And so um, I think we've seen this with the current liquid staking solutions where, yeah. you know, even the decentralized solutions or more decentralized solutions um, have ha have these issues where, um, you know, there could be one token to liquid token to rule them all. I think that you have to view it kind of like the uh, 
you know, the stablecoin market backed by US, <laughs> USD stablecoin yep. market, um, that that is probably a good uh, proxy for this, right? You see USDC has kind of become the standard yeah. for this. And I think that, you know, we want to be that institutional standard. Um, and obviously, if we grew to a point where uh, we had to start making some tough calls, then we'd have to revisit at that time. But I think it's that balance between becoming too big and also honoring, um, you know, like I said, some of the yeah. foundations of block blockchains that we build on. A lot of trade-offs that we're trying to accomplish here, right? I mean, we want these networks to remain decentralized. That's the entire point. We want them to be robust and secure. That's also the entire point. And so there's a bit of a yin and yang. You want institutional capital, but you don't want it all congregated in one spot. If they get too big, yada, yada, yada. Um, so there's actually ways the Ethereum protocol and other networks are considering mitigating this risk. And it has to do with slashing stuff. We're not going to get into it, right? But my framework for this too is like, look, at the end of the day, if you are a blockchain and you are incentivizing validators to become stakers and like, you know, picks and shovels, do the work of the network and get rewarded for it, you should expect at the end of the day, institutions to come in. You should expect them to start participating in the network. What does it look like in the end state though? I think that we're going to see several very large, secure, trusted validator ecosystems. I don't know if there will be a network effect where one rules all, and I don't think we want a network effect where one rules all, because then it's so big, it suffers from decentralization risks, right? But we got a lot of headroom to grow, and as more and more institutions are able to come into the space, we're probably going to see other options. But nevertheless, it's an important, huge milestone to check that box, let them come in to begin with, and still have an eye towards decentralization and making sure that there are other options out there. Yeah, definitely. And I think it goes into a few different buckets, right? There's like these DIY protocols like Rocket Pool, um, and where, you know, you match your state with a validator, um, which is, which is a great concept. And then you've got Lido, which kind of pushes into maybe a bit more centralized, but still decentralized crypto native solution. And then you may have the institutional solutions, uh, like we're building for. Yeah. So I think there's always going to be this, this spectrum, uh, which is good. Yeah. I think we need it. Yep. And there's also client diversity and multi-region standards that we're going to be promoting here and, uh, you know, that, that help make sure that the, the staking ecosystem is at least secure against centralization attacks, so to speak. And that's a whole other topic I don't think we need to get into, but <laughs> this is a very complicated topic. To me, it's super exciting. I'm like a giant nerd at heart. And so this is like one of those super complex, super interesting things that I just gravitate right towards. Um, but uh, again, I got to say, this is actually quite a watershed moment. It might, if you read the headlines and just kind of passively move along, you might not realize how much of a watershed moment it is, but we'll look back at this one and realize, oh, institutions coming into staking is going to be a turning point for sure. And I think it's going to be a turning point for the better, no question. Thanks again for tuning in to this episode of the Around the Block podcast from Coinbase. Really curious, what did you think? Did we answer all your questions? Are you still confused? Tweet at me. I'm J underscore Mart 199 on Twitter. Also leave us a comment on YouTube. Throw us a like, throw us a follow wherever you listen to your podcasts. And as always, catch us on the web, coinbase.com slash around the block. You'll see more podcast episodes, long form research, a bunch of good stuff for you. So until next week, we'll see you then. Today's conversation is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal or investment advice. Actual results may vary materially from any forward-looking statements made and are subject to risks and uncertainties.